Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 39. Today, we're going to be talking about the Asian miners, the EU miners, the first couple of days of the E-League premiere, and I'll be reading out the transcript of an interview I conducted with Jens Hoffer, the mental coach of Ninjas in Pajamas. So first up, the real news. This podcast is now a year old. We turned a year old about six days ago and um, <clears throat> makes me feel old, really. We've come a long way. I, uh, I feel uh, a whole lot um, more seasoned at this sort of thing. Uh, some of the episodes that I promised apparently in the first episode have not materialized. <laughs> One of them was a... Bialy episode, which I would still like to do, uh, especially as there are rumours now circulating viciously that Bialy may be poached by PUBG. So we definitely want to get in a a Bialy episode before he jumps ship. And if you're wondering what a Bialy episode is, it's basically an episode that celebrates and delves into everything Bialy. Uh, I just felt, always found him kind of a mystery <clears throat> on VP, and I thought he d- he deserved his own sort of deep delve. Uh, that'll come eventually. The gambling episode, as I've been reminded, uh, I've been teasing for a long time. The thing is, the gambling issue isn't, isn't going away anytime soon, even though there's laws and regulations that are changing in certain countries over the world. But uh, there's so much CSGO going on all the time and still so many interviews to come out. So what we're going to do this time is concentrate on an interview I uh, did with Jens Hoffer, who is the Ninjas in Pajamas mental coach over a month ago now. But I think it's the right time to bring it out, to trundle it out because NIP have just topped the EU minor. But before we get to that, let's go to the Asia minor, which finished uh, last week. So just firstly, some of the quick news that I missed during the week. Cloud9 are now sponsored by the US Air Force. That's right. According to the press release, we will deliver extraordinary video content surrounding the CSGO team partaking in dynamic Air Force experiences. Like Jack Etienne says, Jack Etienne's the CEO of Cloud9, putting the team into a jet and letting the fans watch the sheer thrill come over their faces. So... (laughs) We now live in a world where at some point in the year, we may actually get a video put out by Cloud9 of Golden and or Sticko in an F-18. Why? I don't fucking know. Because uh, that's the world. Pretty bizarre. Now, North also won DreamHack Open Valencia. It wasn't the largest tournament, but they beat people like Fragsters and Luminosity as well. In the grand final, Luminosity, as you know, have the twins in it, in that team. The MVP of the tournament was Valda, who seems to be quite a solid player. They won the actual whole tournament with Mixwell as a stand-in, but uh, despite their success, Mixwell has gone on to create the all-Spanish team that he was threatening to do for a while. So North are ranked number 10, but are still looking for that number five player to replace Mertz. And uh, there's lots of speculation as to who they'll get. Uh, I wouldn't put the money on anyone right now. Let's go to the Asian Miners. The Asian Miners began with a bang. SZ Absolute beat Renegades in a best of one. 
in one of the first maps, which was a bit of a shock because not many people knew who SZ Absolute were or even are. They are a Japanese team who only got in last minute because a Chinese team couldn't get their visas. They're owned by a company called Scars who have other esports teams in Rainbow Six and PUBG. The reason you might not have heard of them is because basically they're the only professional team in Japan. First-person shooters, including uh, Counter-Strike Go, are not popular in Japan. And why would they be when you've got arcade games where you can literally flip a table uh, when you get angry? Uh, So these guys beat, um, as I said, Renegades in the first map. They topped Group A in London after defeating VG Flash. Uh, And they eventually fell to Tainted Minds and lost a rematch with Renegades, still 2-1, which was impressive, and they came fourth at the tournament. They really just need some more tournaments to improve. An interview with um, Laz, the coach, no, the coach, the, um, well, the leader of the team, uh, pointed a picture of a very humble guy who, who said his goal really is just to become the best in the Asia region first. Now, one of the things I focused on last week was that there was a team playing in the Asia Minor called Unique Stars. They're an all-Israeli team. I pointed them out really only because their, their name is actually quite unique. And uh, it was weird to see a whole team from Israel. I didn't even know... Um, the Israelis were into CSGO, but uh, there you are, they are. And uh, Unique Stars did okay. They actually had one stand-in. I guess the most, uh, the biggest takeaway from them was an orpa called Anarkes, who was playing for them. He was pretty good. He was basically the Draken of Israel because he missed all the easy shots and hit the hard ones. I suspect that uh, has something to do with nerves. If you've got the adrenaline for the twitch, you know, uh, it can help, but if you've got too much adrenaline, it doesn't uh, allow you to get the easier shots, which is why someone like Alu, I think, gets, you know, quite a steady, it's got quite a steady hand. Anyway, it can also mean that you're playing for a more structured team, and Unique Stars had a lot of structure. They were holding information positions, as opposed to just baiting their teammates by hiding or flashing for them. And so I think we will see more of them as they improve. They did beat Five Power, and Five Power were a Chinese team who went down basically pretty quickly because they were playing with three stand-ins. They were beaten by Unique Stars and Tai Lu. Uh, back to Tainted Minds, the Aussie boys. I think when you're saying, yeah, the boys there, yeah, the other other boys, or yeah, the other other boys. I'm not sure. Anyway, they ended up beating Unique Stars, but were in turn beaten by Tai Lu and then Renegades. I don't know too much what to say about Tainted Minds. I haven't watched a huge amount of their games. They were making some sort of headless decisions. Uh, perhaps their focus isn't right. I'm not sure what the professional nature of that team is. They've got a great logo, but I also, I don't, I don't really know about their name. It feels a little cursed. And it also sounds like a bit of an 80s song, doesn't it? It sounds like, a, like an old um, In Excess song. Anyway, uh, Ty Lu put up, um, obviously, uh, you know, the performance we've come to expect from them. They came second. Uh, someone suggested Bentet should go to Cloud9. I'm not sure if that's a good suggestion or not, but definitely it would be the best player in China as we know him uh, defecting. And uh, he's very much the star. But uh, as Excurate said in my interview with him, uh, Bentet actually means big brother in Chinese. So if he was to go, who knows what would happen to that team, might fall apart. Renegades ended up beating Tai Lu in the final qualifying decider. Uh, which is a good sign. They play Tyloo a lot, but managing to get a pretty clean 2-0 over the Chinese side is a good sign going into the major itself as well. 
they were looking quite good. JKS was looking good. Back to the form where he was maybe a year and a half ago where he seemed like the the real firepower on that team. So that is a very good sign. Now, the EU miners were uh, were pretty juicy as well. Left out, bombed, bombed out completely. They were a good puggy team. They had some pretty fun moments. But, but the, the moment any sort of team had some strats, they just sort of folded. And uh, Entz, for one, thrashed them. Entz was not bad at all. I thought Alu was definitely their best player, which, look, I don't know. Alu wasn't the best player on phase. So for him to be the best player on this team, who knows? But it is a very structured team and they do seem to have quite good strats. And that actually seems to make him a much better player because while he's basically crouch peeking with his orb, which seems to be something he likes to do. He's got other people going around him, getting information, throwing smokes, throwing flashes for him. And he had some uh, absolutely amazing, stunning stuff, including one of the most amazing 3Ks ending in a jump shot, which I'm, so, I'm sure you've seen if you've um, been on CSGO Reddit any time in the last week. He's like the opposite of Draken, actually, I think. If you give him a second, he'll, he'll get the shot. Um, <clears throat> but he was a bit inconsistent, to be honest with you. He did miss a few things. I guess Sergey as well is uh, is one of the other storylines from the emergence of Ents, who unfortunately did not make this minor. They were looking very good, but they didn't make the top two in the end. And we'll get to why. But Sergey's only 16 and was playing uh, lights out. He was really stunning. Um, Ents now were beaten by Optic. Which was which was a shame because I felt like Ents had really had um, had a great cohesion going on, but Optic were brutal and uh, seemed to have the sort of aggression, the aimers that really just sort of tilted. Um, I don't mean emotionally tilted, but tilted the uh, the scales in their favour. The the um, final qualifier of this came down to Optic and Ninjas in pajamas. Uh, I was very nervous at one point that Ninjas in Pajamas weren't going to make this through. Uh, but we're going to make through the three and minor, but they did make the major and they beat Optic in the final game as well. You can see the emotion on Gatwright's face. And uh, although it's a real shame that Ents have been knocked out, as I said in a tweet, I think that uh, they're growing. They're obviously growing. They're growing fast. They basically came out of nowhere in Cologne. And so this is not definitely not too much of a slap in the face for that team, I shouldn't think. They put up a great showing here. And we will get more onto NIP when we cover the Jens Hoffer interview. Some of the teams that I mentioned briefly last week when I was covering the EU minor were Kingwin, which was Taz's new team. They got knocked out, came 7th and 8th. Uh, unfortunately, 3D Max. Sprout put up a good uh, good showing. They did manage to beat NIP 2-1, but uh, were knocked out ultimately by Ents. Anyway, let's move on to E-League Premiere. So we've had the first two days of the Million Dollar E-League Premiere. I won't go over it all, mainly because I didn't see it all. It's uh, Games really start about 4 a.m. here and finish about 11 a.m. So it's not the most uh, convenient time for me to be watching them in Australia. However, the first day, Australians beat Cloud9 2-0. Despite good Skadoodle putting up his best effort, actually, but Device has seemingly gone into some sort of ham mode uh, over the last few days. He put up 36 kills on the first map and 29 in the second. 
Cloud9 obviously had their first official LAN with Sticko and Golden. I didn't see this actual showdown, but the results weren't very impressive. Liquid beat MIBR. Uh, MIBR, aka Made in Brazil, were looking a bit headless, just sort of out of control of the game of CS. I don't see <clears throat> Tarek and Stewie really being a team, a good team with Fallen and Cold Zero and Fur. I just do not understand <clears throat> how this team is balanced. Where are the egos jostling in? From what I've seen in the interviews here with these people, I just don't get it. Uh, and thus far, it hasn't seemed to be working out. But um, the key fraggers of Liquid, I should say, were looking very, very sharp indeed. So I can't really, uh, you know, put all the blame at the feet of MRBR not looking great because Elige and Twist were absolutely gunning for it. Despite the fact that Taco looked quite absent, um, noticeably absent, actually. Navi also beat Fnatic 2-1. Mouse Sports took down FaZe 2-1. Snacks was looking a lot better and uh, seems to have been more of a contribution to his team than perhaps Olaf, who, you know, put up some good numbers. But I think actually in these, in these first three maps that we've seen FaZe play, Guardian was not the Guardian we know and love. And, you know, all it takes is for him to drop off a tiny bit and you miss him. Uh, Snacks, interestingly, said in an HLTV interview around all the uh, sort of waxing lyrical he's been doing about how he's been inspired and motivated being back on the Mouse Sports team and his love for Sunny. He did say, I think there's now no support role in CS. I think there are only three roles, attacker, lurker and sniper. Everyone can support. If you're the first guy throwing the nades, then you're the support. But if you don't have the nades and the second guy does, then the second guy becomes a support. So everyone is kind of a support in this game. Very interesting uh, quote and theory and something I had not really considered myself, but it does put paid to some of the people who continue to, let's say, defend players like Taco or Sticko, who are supposedly solid and support players who do nothing but support. Interestingly as well, when I did that interview with Carrigan, how he said the moment his star players weren't there, he just became another attacker. He was no longer... Uh, thinking about his teammates and, like he said, could actually frag as well. So, look, if this is a changing meta, let's keep an eye on it. But I think it's uh, really interesting to point out. Navi versus Mouse Sports occurred on the second day and Navi won. Actually, it was this morning. They won 2-1, which was very close. But LMBT, the um, uh, coach of Mouse Sports, I don't know if you've seen the chap. He wears a red Adidas tracksuit with the white stripe down the side and red and white shoes. Looks like a character from the Royal Tenenbaums, actually. Um, just thought I should point that out. This was a very close series. Mouse sports were not looking as sharp as usual. Rops was basically absent, uh, especially compared to how he usually is, compared to how he was in, uh, was it Cologne? The last, last time we saw him. Um, perhaps some of the roles that Snacks has been taking has been throwing him off a little uh, although I did see Snacks doing a lot of lurking, especially in Mirage. But mainly, I would say, it seems that Electronic has really risen to the level of simple. Flamey's going huge again. Even Zeus is doing work. But it does remind me of that old chestnut, a rising tide uh, floats all boats or something like that. Um, and uh, it also reminds me of some of the education I had in, um, in high school when I was studying art. And we were looking at why art movements occur and how art movements occur and how one artist, if he just sort of busts out 
really brings a whole movement with him if he's forceful enough and if it's in it's in the air. And I and I think that you you're going to see electronic putting up the sorts of numbers that Simple has been putting up as he has been, or going even beyond, probably because of the fact that he's been playing with one of the world's best players. He's around him all the time. He's observing what he's doing. He's observing how he practices. He's getting to know how he plays. He's learning from him, in short. And uh, if Flamey's doing the same thing, then um, Navi are probably my favourites to win this whole tournament again. Uh, we have an elimination match tomorrow, and the juiciest one out of this, we have Fnatic versus FaZe, which, you know, it's an old rivalry. Fnatic, I should mention, actually have Draken now, and um, who else have they got? Some other chap. Uh, X... Oh, that's right, Exist. <laughs> I was about to say XNIP, but X Exist. Um, hasn't been paying off for them quite as well as Nip. At least it seems like that at the moment. But uh, always a good showdown. Uh, but the but the juiciest elimination match tomorrow is going to be Cloud9 versus Maiden Brazil. It's going to be the ex-teammates versus the current teammates. And, um, yeah. You know, what I was saying about uh, Maiden Brazil before, how I can't really see that team working, it's also difficult to imagine that Sticko and Golden and Automatic and Rush and Skadoodle would be the sort of team that could last for a long time and get results. It just seems like a weird concoction. It seems like when you were young and you tried to cook, I don't know, let's say you're at home and you're you're 12 and you're cooking two-minute noodles and you spot some sort of seasoning in the fridge and you think to yourself, well, you know, I'll season my noodles with um, cumin. And then you put a whole lot in and it tastes like, uh, well, it tastes interesting. Let's put it like that. Um, anyway, a lot of rivalry there. Should be a juicy one to watch. Let's move on to the interview with Jens Hoffer, the mental coach for Ninjas in Pajamas. Now, I reached out to Jens um, about a month and a half ago and asked him for an interview. He said he was too busy to actually do an audio interview. So he said, give me some questions by email and I will answer them as best as I can. And he has done an amazing job. Jens has been the mental coach for NIP for a year. As you could see in the European minor, it was all about the mentality of the team. Lovely to see Lecro uh, really being a positive influence, laughing in between each round, making jokes. The guy was as sweet as they come when I interviewed him. And uh, I think he's been good for the team. Obviously, taking the IGLing mantle off Dennis is a good thing too, to unleash that particular brand of beast. But anyway, Jens was lovely. And I think the best way to do this is probably just to read out my questions and then to read his answers. So the first thing I asked him was, what sort of training slash qualifications did you undergo after you stopped playing basketball? Because Jens used to play basketball professionally. He said, I actually don't have any formal education when it comes to sports psychology. I have a bachelor's degree in German and have taken a lot of courses in sports, education and coaching. After I stopped playing basketball, I transitioned into coaching basketball and have coached both on a senior level and youth level here in Europe. Eventually, my interest for the mental side of the game took over and I started reading lots of books and started to educate myself to complement my own experience as a professional player and coach. I started working with youth basketball players here in Sweden individually, 
then gave an introduction course on mental training at the Basketball Academy here in Malmo, started working with players on a senior level, and eventually transitioned over to working with football players as well. For about nine years, I kept working with different players and teams at nighttime, while working full-time at a school as an educator daytime to pay the bills. My goal was to eventually work as a mental coach full-time, and that is when I started contacting different clubs and also esports organizations to see if there was any interest from their side. And that is how I got to know Patrick Khan from Fnatic and got my first job as a mental coach within esports. I will always be grateful to him for giving me an opportunity to enter into the world of esports. So interesting to note that he's got a similar background to one of the coaches who is working with Astralis, who formerly was a a handball player. Um, So my next question was, on your Instagram, you said you've been instructing Draken to increase the number of mistakes he is able to handle. Can you explain this a bit more? Now, even though Draken is no longer on the team, I think this is still quite an interesting uh, answer he gives. So he says... I believe that we all have a certain amount of mistakes in us that we usually are able to handle in-game before we start to lose our focus due to frustration, loss of confidence, or other perhaps reasons. Oh, oh, that's a bit of a typo there. Or perhaps other reasons. To me, a game is never about trying to achieve that perfect focus that will never break throughout the game. I think this is too unrealistic. Rather, it is about being able to constantly refocus and get yourself back into the focus zone every time after having lost focus to some reason. After having lost focus, yeah, due to some reason. So when you look at it that way, your job mentally becomes to find a way to refocus on what is important over and over and over again through the game so that you are still playing with a clear mind on the last map in the last round of any game. So the work I'm currently doing with Draken is to try to increase the number of times he's able to refocus in a game so that no matter what happens in the beginning or the middle of the game, he will always be fresh mentally at the end of games. He's already improving in this area and will keep getting better and better. So I thought that was quite interesting because when we're practicing, we're often just concentrating on how to improve or get better. We're not actually focusing on how to deal with our mistakes better or more calmly. Um, which is bizarre because when you think about it, we're always making mistakes. In fact, it's very difficult to play Counter-Strike and not make mistakes, to not get fragged, to miss a shot. Um, So very interesting perspective, and it seems like a large area that that goes unfocused, at least when I'm thinking about improving. Anyway, I'll continue. I asked him, I saw in a video you said that duration of the time is the biggest difference between traditional sports and esports. How do you help the CSGO players with their endurance? He answered, this is a tough one. Since we do have long days, I try to stress the importance of breaking things down into different segments and having the mentality that what I'm doing right here and now is the most important thing and I will give 100% focus on this process right here without worrying about past or future. This is a hard one to achieve on a regular basis, but I think is one of the most important concepts to learn when it comes to doing things with high quality. I think because players have so many practice games, online games, and even tournaments, they can quickly fall into the bad habit of just going through the motions when playing. This leads to a low quality and very little progress. So by approaching each practice game with a sense of purpose, doing your preparation and having a set goal for what it is you actually want to improve, then you will be able to stay focused and play with a higher quality throughout the long days. This is something that takes time to learn and isn't for everybody. As a matter of fact, of all the things I describe here, all the things I describe here are only my way of approaching the mental side of things. There are many different ways of doing so and what works for one player might not be optimal for another. But very interesting to see the, this is me talking again, the focused practice uh, approach that I mentioned 
Zeus, Zeus, Zeus. <laughs> Zonic. Sorry, it's it's the wrong coach starting with a Z. Zonic has been practicing at Astralis, having very clear, set, focused goals for each and every practice session. My next question was, when I was younger, I had trouble listening to advice from older people, especially older men. This turned out to be an issue with my father. Have you found any of the players aren't so receptive to you? His answer, most of the players I've worked with have been receptive to doing some form of mental training, but there is always a difference in how much the person is willing to work on himself or herself to actually make a change for the better. I can usually quickly tell how much a player is willing to do and how much I can push a player individually. Most of the time, players are quite aware of their own mental weaknesses, the decisive factor when it comes to the mental side of things, however, is whether or not the player is willing to do the work to improve. So here's my next question. You mentioned on your Instagram about Rez becoming aware of his confidence dips in the middle of a game and that when that happens, he should reset and continue playing with full confidence. It's so hard to reset though. How do you help Rez to do it? He answered, We started out addressing this area right away and also started working on his self-esteem with methods that I don't want to reveal here, but I believe having a good and strong self-esteem is the key to being able to handle setbacks without losing yourself in the negative results. We also started working a lot on his preparation and making sure that he goes into every game prepared and knowing exactly what he wants to do when he finds himself in these challenging situations in-game. Another thing we did is to create what I call a support routine, and this basically means that you prepare mental tools already in advance that you know will help you get back on track in-game once you are stuck or experience a dip in confidence. This is me talking. You know, there's one uh, I learned ages ago that I believe is an, is an NLP technique. NLP is, neuro, NLP is neuro-linguistic programming, which is sort of the basis for people like Tony Robbins' methodologies and stuff. But one of the things you you, you you were taught or I was taught was to make some sort of motion or make some sort of sound or touch your body in a particular place. Uh, like you could squeeze in between your thumb and forefinger. That's quite an effective area because it's quite tender and it, and it connects to a lot of different nerve endings. And one thing you could do is before, let's say, a big day you had to do where you had a, a pressure, you know, a situation where you're in a lot of pressure, you could potentially squeeze that place or do this motion or make this noise and think about all the wonderful things that and all the positive things that would help you get through that particular situation. Perhaps it was self-affirming things. It was like, this is, uh, you were saying things like, um, you know, I'm worthy of this or I'm capable of doing this or I've done things like this before and succeeded. And it was uh, practicing and visualizing those sorts of things in your head whilst doing this motion or making this sound or touching yourself in this tender place. Uh, And so, the visualization too, I guess, was quite important. Picturing the completion or the successful completion of this task you were going to do. But doing it quite intensely for, you know, several minutes or so until your brain had really associated those sorts of positive thoughts and positive images and um, positive ideas with the motion or the place you were touching or the sound you were making or even just the word you were chanting along with it. That way, when you were in the middle of the activity, let's say it was CSGO, you could potentially just stop and squeeze between the thumb and forefinger or make the motion that you'd worked out or say what you'd said in in your mind or make the noise that you needed to make. And it would be quite effective in bringing back 
a very quick memory of all of the positivity that you'd been practicing that morning that your body had sort of psychologically or physiologically, I guess I should say, associated with that action. Anyway, that's enough uh, editorializing. The next question I had for Jens was this. I've noticed my awareness in game increases after a game of futsal, and it's bizarre how many CS pros are keen soccer players. Are you aware of anything similar to this effect? For example, team sports in the physical world uh, relating to the computer world, and why this might be so, and is it something you try to promote in the team? Yen says, I've recently read a book on this subject that only increased my already big interest in this area. There's a lot of research that shows that moderate cardio activity for about 30 to 45 minutes, two to three times a week, has an immense impact on your brain and increases its functionality and even changes the way it ages physically. So yeah, I definitely try to push this on our players. I've put together a core program that helps the guys build and maintain the muscles they need to be able to sit long days and play effectively. We also try to do cardio on a regular basis. This is a step-by-step process. We're not quite there where I would like to be, but hopefully we will get there. The players are receptive to it, and we've come quite a ways already when considering where it was before. The final question I asked him was just a very short one. Do you have a policy for the players about using phones and social media, i.e. curbing time or not having phones visible during practice, etc.? And he replied, When I was working with Bjorn Threat, I was more involved in the daily practice routines and we made it a point not to have any mobile phones visible during practice and walkthroughs because I believe in the importance of focusing on one thing at a time. And that was the answers from Jens Hoffer. I should say, I guess I made a point in that last question of asking about the visibility of phones because I don't know if I even mentioned this on this podcast before, but there was this um, study that was done at Stanford and uh, pretty sure I read about it in this book, Dataclism. I feel like I'm repeating myself now. Anyway, hopefully you haven't listened to the episode where I did talk about this. But it did. It did. The study did um, conclude that if you're in a conversation with someone, let's say you're out for coffee, and your phone is visible in front of you, you are less likely to have a deep conversation. In fact, your phone can be off. And you can know that it's off and it can be face down and you are still less likely to have a deep conversation. You are more likely to have a shallow conversation purely because there's a part of your brain that is still engaged by what is represented by that phone. I guess all the possibilities of dopamine that it represents to our little hamster wheels. Uh, look, that's that's basically it for this week. <clears throat> In the meantime, you can contact me on the truth at the truth csgo.com or on twitter at the truth csgo enjoy the game